Well, good morning. Good to see you today, and uh, what a great week we've had. It was exciting to, to be at the uh, new church building, the post office, and to know that they're going to start demolition on Monday morning at 6 a.m., and uh, so I'm excited to see the look on the faces of people who come to mail a letter. It should be a lot of fun, and uh, to see how, how God is going to really work, and if all goes well, we will uh, we'll be in that new building uh, in two weeks. But things never go that well in construction, as you know. So we, we'll just plan a little bit longer than that. You know, when I uh, first came to faith in Christ, I had a lady who was from Wales disciple me. She sat me down and she began to teach me some things. And one day, she reached in her purse and she gave me a dime. And you should have got a dime when you came in. She handed me that dime. She said, this is one of the greatest spiritual lessons you're going to get. And I said, well, a dime, that's not much. She's, I said, what's it all about? And I want you to know that the first tenth of every dollar you will ever make belongs to God. It doesn't belong to you. And I didn't understand anything she was telling me. It didn't make any sense to me. I thought, oh, if God made heaven and earth, why does he need my dime? And she began to teach me this spiritual principle about what I own and what I think I own. She said, I don't, you don't give a tithe, you give an offering. A tithe is what belongs to God. You return it. And everything above 10% is an offering that you give unto God. And I have to admit, at my early kind of spiritual stage in my, in my journey there, I didn't really understand what she was saying and what that meant. But being in college and not making much money, it seemed pretty easy because I was broke whether I gave or didn't give. I just broke, just didn't have any money. And I was working a couple of jobs to get through college, and in the summer I would pour concrete, and that's how I paid for my college. But from the day that she told me that till today, I've never missed giving at least 10% of every dollar I've ever earned to God. And you know what? It's really because it's His. And there were times where I didn't have a job. There were times where I didn't, couldn't afford it. But I just said, God, I'm going to do this. Now, I'll take you back a few years. I was preaching, and, and I was preaching on this subject, and I made this comment. And right after it came out of my mouth, I regretted it. Have you ever had that experience? I have it often, by the way. I just kind of open mouth to change feet sometimes. But I made this comment, I'm preaching on tithing, and I'm all fired up and excited, and I said, I just want to challenge you to commit for the next 90 days that you're going to tithe before God, and, and if God doesn't come through, then we'll just give your money back. And then I said it, and I looked over, and a few of the leaders in our church kind of rolled their eyes like, we're in trouble. And only one guy came and contacted me. He came and he said, uh, I want to talk to you about that challenge and I want to see if, if maybe you would listen to my story and then tell me if you still want to go through with what you had to say. I said, well, come on in. So he came into my office that week and 
When he came in, he brought his books, his checkbooks, he brought his budgets, he brought everything he had. He sat down and he showed me his finances. He said, I'm working two jobs, I've got four kids, and the youngest one's one and up, and, and he's telling me, he's spinning this scenario, and right then I'm thinking, oh God, why did I say what I said? I don't know how this guy can tithe. And I just thought, wait a minute, I've got to go by a biblical conviction here, not by an accounting of man. And I said, yeah, it doesn't look good for you. In fact, it looks really bad. In fact, I'm feeling really good about my life right now is what I told him. And I said, but the deal is still on. I said, in fact, I'm going to up the stakes one more notch. And I said, you tithe for the next 90 days, and if God doesn't come through, I'll pay you out of my own pocket. He said, okay, I'm going to do it. Two weeks go by, he calls me up, and he says, things aren't getting better, they're getting worse. Do you think I didn't increase my prayer life? <laughs> oh, God, open the windows of heaven for this poor man, and me too. <laughs> and I'm praying, I'm asking God to work, and a month goes by, and he calls me up, he said, it's getting worse, and I said, you committed in 90 days. I know. Well, he was going to school to be an airplane mechanic. And at that time, they didn't need a lot of airplane mechanics. And I'm thinking, you got bad books, you got too little income, and you're going in the wrong direction for a profession. God, why did you get me into this? And it was like God said, I didn't say it, you did. <laughs> and I just kept praying for him and about the end of the second month, he called me up and he said, hey, I may have a breakthrough. And I'm thinking, oh, thank you, God. I said, well, did God bless you somehow? He says, no, but I've got an interview with an airline down in Tulsa and I'm gonna fly down there, they're gonna interview me. He said, that's the good news. I said, what's the bad news? He said, there's three, over 3,000 applications for five jobs. Well, now I'm praying harder. Oh, God, blind all those other guys. I'm praying anything. I mean, you know, when you get desperate, you can pray pretty good, right? And so I'm praying. I said, okay, we're praying for you. So he goes down there, and he calls me up from Tulsa. He says, hey, I got good news. I said, you get the job? He says, no, but the lady that was giving me the interview said, are you a Christian? And I said, yes. And she said, well, so am I. I said, well, that's good. That's, we got some insiders in there. <laughs> and uh, time goes on, and they narrowed it down to like, 50 people, and he made the cut. And he called me up with the good news, and he says, you're not going to believe this. I got the job. It was about 65 to 70 days within that 90-day deal. He said, not only did God provide more money than I ever imagined, but now I have free travel for my whole family. And I used to spend money to try to get my wife to see her parents and see the grandkids and everything else. And he said, God did exceedingly abundantly beyond all I could ask or think. Amen? The story doesn't end there. The story then, um, five years later, there's a knock on my door. This guy had moved to Tulsa. I've, I've even forgotten his name. I mean, I don't even know his name right now. It's probably good that I don't. He knocked on my door and he said, hey, do you remember me? And I, I did. I at least remembered you know, parts of him. And, uh, 
And I said, yeah. And I said, hey, I was just in town for just a couple of days, but I wanted to come by and tell you, if you ever get a chance to tell my story, tell the follow-up story. And that is that consistently ever since that day, I have never missed one tithe and God has blessed me beyond what I could ever ask or think in a lifetime. That story that I told you, I could tell a hundred times over of people in this church and in other congregations that I've pastored. Because you see, giving is not about accounting. It's about a spiritual principle. When Jesus said, you're either going to love God or you're going to love mammon. And he uses this word that describes this, this, this monetary vehicle that mankind uses. And he says, he doesn't say you're going to love God or you're going to love your car, your house, or your family. He says mammon because there's a spiritual dimension to money that you cannot separate from. That's why the Bible says that the love, the love of all money is a root of all evil. When I love money, I, I, I find the very root of it because there's some spiritual dimension. In fact, Jesus, when he preached, when he spoke, when he taught, he spoke more about money than he ever spoke about heaven or hell. You know why? Because it's the root of what hurts us inside when we give it up. And we never feel like we have enough of it. I don't care how much you have. You say, how much you need? A little bit more. Always seems to be the answer. Interesting, I looked up dime. I just wanted to research it, and I found out that it was chosen in 1792 for our U.S. currency. But the word has a French origin to it, and it literally means tithe. And every time you reach in your pocket, every time you pay a bill and you look down, you just remember you're giving somebody a tithe. You're giving a tenth, because that's what the word tithe means is 10%. In the book of Malachi, it's an interesting passage because it's so strong and so it's filled with so many promises and yet it's filled with the other side that you go, wow, that seems awful strong, God. Look what he says. Will a man rob God? I get this picture of, you know, somebody assailing heaven, you know, with a, with a bandit on, you know, kind of like a bandit, a couple of guns. God, give it up. Will a man rob God? It's almost ridiculous to even say it. Yet you have robbed me, says the Lord. In what way have we robbed you, they ask? Why, in tithes and offerings. You notice the distinction there. They're not the same. And then he says something really, really strong. You are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And that would have been the temple, and today it would be the church. That there may be food in my house, And then God does something here that he doesn't do anywhere else in Scripture. He says, put me to the test. Try me, says the Lord. The Bible tells us in the gospel, we are not to tempt the Lord our God. And this is the only place where God says, test me in this. Try me in this. Because I want to do something in your life that you cannot do on your own. He said, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out on you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer. Now, I want you to notice, this is really interesting in Scripture, for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. You notice he takes it from this idea of a devourer, like like something that's not a person, and he brings it down to personhood. He said that he may not, that he may not destroy the fruit of your ground. 
Nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts, and all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Let me talk to you a little bit about generosity today. I believe generosity is a kingdom principle. You see, it was God, not man, that came up with this idea, that initiated this idea. And you can reach right back in before the law was ever given into the life of a man by the name of Abram. And it was to God that, that he revealed himself to Abram, and, and, he, and it was Abram that gave back a tenth of all that he had. It wasn't until Moses, hundreds of years later, that Moses would initiate the law. And that was a part of the law, but it predated the law, and it's after the law. The tithe means a ten, as we said, and the tithes and offerings are different. When I give 10% of my earnings, I'm giving my tithe. When I give 11%, then I'm giving 1% of my offering and 10% of my tithe. And I believe we should do both, and I practice both. I want you to know that. And he says here something interesting, that the windows in heaven, they open and they close. Sometimes they're open and sometimes they're closed, but it's interesting, in this passage it tells us why they open and why they close. When I, by faith and by obedience, honor God with what is his, he opens the windows of heaven. Remember when I was first pastoring and I, I, made, I made $450 a month and I had to drive 120 miles to my church and I don't care how far back it was, it wasn't much money. And I had a car and we had to drive all these miles and we had two little boys and, and all they needed was diapers, it seemed like, food and diapers. And it was all, everything was an expense and I just kept honoring God, honoring God. And uh, one day I, I, I felt like the brakes needed to, be repaired. And I called a guy in my church and I said, hey, these brakes sound like they're bad. You do that, right? And he goes, yeah, let me look. And he, he looks, he says, yeah, they're not bad. He said, how many miles do you have on them? And I said, well, they're the original brakes. I've never changed them on the car. And he looks inside and I had 71,000 miles on my car. He goes, this is impossible. You had to change these brakes. I said, honestly, I didn't. He said, well, do you ever stop? I, don't, I can't explain that. I see those kind of things happen in my life. I see it happen in the lives of people all the time. You see, sometimes we close the windows of heaven because of a lack of faith or a lack of obedience in our life. Listen to what it says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. God says, when I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, or I command the, command the locusts to devour the land, or I send pestilence among my people. If my people are called by my name. That's where we like to start with that scripture, isn't it? But that verse before, that, that 2 Chronicles seven fourteen, the, that verse before it says, if I shut up heaven, if I send in locust, if I send in a devourer, just understand that there's something I'm trying to get your attention There are things in our life that God is doing to try to get our attention to bring us back to him back to renewed mind, back to a faithful obedience, back to lifting up the name of Jesus above every name, wherever we go. Tammy alluded to it. I was in Starbucks. There's a guy that I've been praying for for some time. He doesn't go to church, and he walked up to me, and he said, I'm not crazy. First words out of his mouth. And I said, well, I never thought you were. <laughs> no, wait till you hear my story. And he said, I had this vision of Jesus. And, and I don't know whether it's a dream or whatever it was, but he it was like he appeared before me in this dream, and he said, I want you to go start a camp for kids. 
And I go, well, that's great. You need to pray. You need to follow Jesus. I said, let's pray. And standing right there in the middle of the store, I put my arm on his, on his shoulder, and I began to pray. And this guy is weeping right there. Next day, I go in, and I see him. He's standing in front of me. He buys my coffee. That was a great blessing for one prayer. I turned around to the guy behind me. I said, I'm buying your coffee. His name is Dave. He couldn't believe it. Why are you buying my coffee? I said, just a gift of Jesus. He goes, well, thank you. He thanked me three times before I left. But listen to what it says back to 2 Chronicles. If my people are called by name, will humble themselves. I'm going to tell you right now, when you tithe, it's humbling. Because you think about all the ways you could spend that money. You think about how the account goes down and doesn't seem to go up. And it's humbling. It's not something you can take pride in. It's humbling because it's not mine. I'm just giving it back to God. It's humbling. He said, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then, notice the, the word then, then I'm going to start hearing from heaven. And I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. You know, on Friday, the 26th of July, we closed on our building. I call that one the 530-day miracle. It was 530 days from the day we started Influence Church till the day we closed on a building, got the permits on the building. And then it was just 500 and what, 32 days before we had our first service there. Now, I'm going to tell you what I believe. I don't believe Phil's that smart or anybody in this church is that smart. I don't believe it was because we were just really on top of our game. I don't believe anything other than God honored our faithfulness over the last year and a half. That's all I believe. I fully believe it. Yesterday, we, we heard that the Hillsboro School, where we have our, have our, our children's ministry set up right now, and, and they're, they're redoing some stuff, and they've got a great playground equipment, and they wanted to sell it. It's about a $10,000 brand new equipment, I mean, when it's new. And so I heard they wanted to sell it, so I went down there, and I saw the owner, and I said to him, I said, hey, I hear you want to donate that to us. <laughs> well, y'all always heard you start low. And he was a little shocked, and he goes, well, go take a look at it, see what you think. And I go over there, and Milt looked at me. He said, I think it'd be a steal at 500. I said, well, then we'll offer 350. <laughs> I go over there, Rex. I said, Rex, I'm going to give you 350 for that. And I said, but I want you to know, too, I know that you're not going to have all the assembly area you need. I want you to be able to use our church free for your kids and your family whenever they need it. And he looked at me and goes, just take it. Just take it. See, I think that's, that's the favor of God. I think that's what happens when we, when we show up and we ask God just to kind of do something in our life. You know, one of the things I love about being here is, is that we're right in the marketplace of people. When you walk out of here, there's people that are coming in to see all kinds of different movies, and you get to go out there, they get to see you interact and see you, uh, you know, uh, pray with one another. And I want to encourage you to do that. When you, when you go out of here, when, I'm, when this service is done, clear out of here fast, get out there and talk to as many people and pray with as many people as you possibly can. But I love the marketplace, and one of the things that I, I was always going to miss was when we moved out of this marketplace, we wouldn't have a marketplace. Little did I realize we're going to have a marketplace that's even better. 
There's like 150 cars that go through there every day ready to see church for us to engage. George McLeod put it like this, I, I simply say the cross must be raised again at the center of the marketplace as well as on the steeple of the church. I'm claiming that Jesus was not crucified in a cathedral between two candles, but on a cross between two thieves. On the town garbage heap, at the crossroads so cosmopolitan that they had to write his title in Hebrew, in Latin, and in Greek. At the kind of place where cynics talk smut, thieves curse, soldiers gamble, because that is where he died. And that is where he died about, and that is where churchmen ought to be about and what churchmen ought to be about. We ought to be about lifting up the cross of Jesus Christ in the center of the world and not hiding in our holy huddles and trying to get our secret societies of what it means to be a Christian. We have to proclaim Jesus to the world because Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Amen? All men. When Jesus was talking to his disciples in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, he said, let me tell you something about giving. He says, give and it will be given unto you. When you give love, have you ever noticed love comes back and it doesn't just keep loving? Give and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over and put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Generosity also proves the faithfulness of God. In Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Why? Here's what he says. He's the reason. So your barns will be filled with plenty. He says you give your way out of a problem. Whenever I feel like my, I'm struggling financially, you know what I do is I give more. I just give more. I just say I'm going to give more because I've got to give my way out of this problem because I can't think my way, work my way out of this problem. I'm going to work as hard as I can, look for every opportunity I can, but I'm going to give my way out because I believe there's a spiritual principle. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. You see, God wants to open the windows of heaven on all of us. The tithe is a spiritual thing. It's, it's tied to something in the, in the spiritual realm I don't fully understand, honestly. But I believe this, God's riches are held in reserve for us. And God wants to open up the windows of heaven for us and bless us and take care of us. I mean, even when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he says, you know, don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and where you're going to live. Doesn't God take care of the, the sparrows? Doesn't God clothe the fields in greater glory than even Solomon with all of his riches? Don't worry. Don't have anxiety. Trust in God. Honor God. God will not release these, these blessings on earth just because we have a need. He, he releases heaven because we're obedient and we're people of faith. That's why he does it. There's always a skeptic. All through my ministry, there's always been somebody who says, well, all you talk about is giving. And every person that ever has made that comment in my life, when I go back and I talk to them, they don't give anything. They don't give anything. You see, we always react where we're sensitive we always react where we're sensitive. When my wife points out some fault I have and I react, I know immediately I'm guilty. She already knew it. She just wanted me to know it, right? 
And we always react where we're guilty. I want you to give unto the Lord because God moves your heart. Never out of guilt. Never give out of compulsion. Give because God moves your heart. If you can't give that way, don't give. Just don't give. Just keep it. It's okay. It's okay. God will provide. But you'll lose out if you, don't, if you don't find that place somehow in your heart to say, I want to give with freedom and generosity before God. Here's a few steps that I, I tell people all the time. I said, first of all, exercise faith. It doesn't have to make sense. Just say, God, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to take you at your word. You trust him for salvation. Trust him for every dimension of your life. Develop consistency in your life. Secondly, just develop some consistency. Say, I'm going to get on a pattern of just consistently seeing what God can do. And then third, start somewhere. You say, well, I can't afford that. I don't even know how to do that. I don't have that much faith yet. I just start somewhere then. Start somewhere. Start with a dollar a week, but start somewhere. See what God can do. Generosity also fuels the work of the kingdom. Let me tell you what I mean by that. We were in a meeting with the building team and the architect of the U.S. Post Office just about a week ago. And Amit pulled me aside. He's Middle Eastern. And he said, I want to tell you something. He said, this is the most professional group of people I've ever been a part of and the nicest people I've ever been a part of. And I'm going to do everything I can. Isn't that great? And I'm going to do everything I can to help you save money. And he literally stood there and changed the plans to save money for us. I think that's the favor of God. Let me tell you what happened last week. The manager here at Edwards, great guy. His name is Tarek. Love the guy to death. Here's what he said. I wrote it down. He said, I hate to see you go for two reasons. One, your people are so kind and they bring so much excitement and joy to our theater. And secondly, our revenues have never been higher, not because of we're renting space. He's talking about ticket revenues have never been higher. And here's what he said. I believe it's because God is favoring us because of you. Now think about the testimonies that, that we're bringing forth from people who are outside of our fellowship. Mark Batterson, the author of that Circle Maker book, said, you cannot build God's reputation if you aren't willing to risk yours. There comes a moment when you need to make a call or you need to make a move. If you don't take the risk, you will forfeit the miracle. I can promise you there's been more than one time where I got up and I said, we're going to do this, we're going to do that, where I had to go home and just fight everything inside of me because my faith was just waning low. When we circled around that building on, on Monday night, even my faith was low. I thought, what if we don't have enough people here? I hope all the long-armed people come. And then I thought, well, we'll just stand, you know, like three feet apart, you know? You know, and, and you, you see what God can do. You think about what's going to happen there in that building. You think about all the kids that are going to get blessed and all the students that are going to get blessed and all the Bible studies and the fellowships and all those things. And we've got that nat natural, if you weren't there, you'll notice that uh, to the uh, uh, upper right corner there, there's a natural amphitheater where we can gather. You can probably put 500 people there 
And that, that loading dock becomes the stage. And, and Monday night, just to see the faces, to, to, to go to that next slide and to see people just worshiping God there in that place. Giving God the glory. You know, all of that for me is worth every dime I ever gave. It's worth more. I walked in early and a couple of students, a couple of young guys were here early and I go, you guys ready to praise Jesus? Say, we are. We love praising Jesus. That's worth every dime I ever gave. Because one day they're going to grow up, they're going to get married, they're going to have a family and they're going to have a different outlook on life than just going to church. I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of going to church. I want to be a part of a movement of God. When you truly know that Jesus has delivered you out of your sin, out of your death, and out of your bondage, when you really look at your life and you see how ugly it is without Jesus, no sacrifice is too great to make for him. You want to follow Jesus with all your heart. You want to give Jesus everything you have. You're willing to go to the ends of the earth to see just one life changed by the power of Almighty God. Jesus preached the kingdom of God, a message that was so radical in his day, so powerful that the lame walked, the blind received their sight, the demon-possessed were set free, the crowds followed him, eager to hear his words and carry out his mission wherever he would take it. In Luke chapter 8 and verses 1 through 3, an interesting story about this crowd along with the 12 that followed Jesus. It says it came to pass afterwards that, that through a, he went through every city and village preaching uh, and bringing glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the 12 were with him. Nothing too interesting yet, nothing too different yet. We know all of that. And then notice what it says, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others. Notice, how did Jesus fund his ministry? It tells you right here in Luke chapter 8, who provided for him from their sustenance. The ministry of Jesus for three years, three and a half years, was funded by those who followed after him. It wasn't some miracle they didn't need money. They were funded by people who had a heart for the kingdom, and they had a heart because they had been delivered from sin and from, from bondage. These women were active contributors in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Their generosity grew out of a ministry, not for finance, but a ministry for the kingdom of God. You see, people who stay close to Jesus understand what's at stake. These early, early followers had a vision of changing the world one life at a time. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 38, just beyond that passage, it says, the man, uh, now the man who... who on whom the demons had departed, begged him that he might stay with them. He says, we want to be, I want to be in this crowd. I like this crowd. He said, no, it's not for you. You've got something else to do. He sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell the great things that God has done for you. That's what we need to do. Tell the great things that God has done for us everywhere we go. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city the great things that Jesus had done for him. Glory be to God. Let's stand together. I wrote this generosity principle. I've been trying to 
frame some of these periodically for you so you have a confession that you can hold on to and you can make on your own. And we've done several of these now over the course of, of this series. But I want you just to repeat this one after me. In Jesus' name, I acknowledge God's principle of sowing and reaping. My faith is multiplied and enriched through my personal generosity. God has opened the windows of heaven for me to receive a blessing beyond all that I could imagine. I expect that God will work miracles in my life. I bless the work of the kingdom that in all ways I might be a blessing to others. Amen. Let's give him praise. Let's sing to him this morning as we honor the Lord.